Welcome to That's No Longer My Ministry, a podcast that tells a different story about healing. A story of healing as discipline, as real, hard, and uncomfortable work. This is a place where we honor the journeys of marginalized folk actively purging years of programming and the consequence of never being centered. A place for acknowledging and moving through trauma. A place where radical self-liberation is sought and no is a complete sentence. You should listen if you're someone who wants to build the kind of life you don't need to escape from. I'm your host, Nadia, a black woman who has spent way too much time trying to fit into a number of spaces that weren't and still aren't meant for me. But that's no longer my ministry. Welcome, Forum. Well, hey, thanks for having me. I am feeling better because I got my vaccine this week, my second shot, and that wiped, it totally wiped me out. I was basically out the entire week, so I felt awful yesterday. Oh my gosh. Uh, And I woke up today, I feel better. And now I can actually enjoy the fact that I am vaccinated. So I'm feeling pretty good going into the weekend. The weather's nice here. Um, I'm vaccinated. I don't feel like I have the flu anymore. (laughs) Now things are on the up and up right now for me. Good. I love that. I'm so happy because I'm also vaccinated. It's like, finally, we're moving into this sense of normalcy a little bit. We're still masked up. We're still being very careful. We're all washing our hands. And (laughs) I say this for listeners who feel like vaccines are like the silver bullet that is just now we can just go outside, you know, naked and free and spread our germs. And I just really I, I kind of like masked living. Like I feel safer among these people who are out Me there. Too. Me too. <laughs> so I really wanted to quickly like, highlight who you are and who you are to me people on the pod don't know you um although if they know me then you're on my instagram story quite a bit but tell us who you are like what do you do you don't have to name any company that you work for but um you know who like who are you in the core of you not in the core of work life Ooh, that's a bit that's a loaded question (laughs) Just like a softball. Yeah, these are the questions that I'm the worst at answering. Um, My name is Forum. I am a journalist by trade. Um, I would call myself a writer generally, um, but I studied journalism and I do a lot of journalism work. So I I still call myself that. Um, And I am, let's see, I'm I'm a big environmentalist. I am a cat mom and <laughs> I am vegan and I love to eat. Uh, my That's family's cool. from India and I cook a lot of Indian food. So basically, if you know me, some part of my existence has to do with all of those things and trees. I didn't mention trees, <laughs> but I love trees. <laughs> and that's that might be like an irrelevant part of this answer, but I just moved from California and I miss the redwoods so much because they are like the most magical part of living in California. Um, and so if I could I could crawl up a tree and live there, I would do it with my cat and all the vegan food, and I would be a happy person. <laughs> would you bring your husband? I mean, this is maybe a loaded question, but I heard the cat, I heard the food. <laughs> bring him. He likes all these things too. Yeah. We, you know, we've crawled up a couple of trees together and sat there and enjoyed the sunset. It's, it's, it's a good place for us to be. I love it. I love it. That's, 
this is these are all the things that I know to be true about you. Um, okay, me and Fora met actually at work, and it was such a powerful connection up front. I feel like she messaged me like five days in, and then all of a sudden, you know, we went from onboarding to racism in five seconds flat, <laughs> and forum was my support and also helped me you know i feel like she re-energized uh the work that i'm trying to do in i don't know for lack of better words the movement like just mm. she re-energized re who i am as a black woman and i think that's very powerful because years and years of corporate work has really taken a lot out of me um and i needed somebody to remind me who the fuck i am and that's forum to me so this no, is why <laughs> this is why you're my first guest on the pod. Um, so I wanted to one thing I also want to ask for every episode for the people who I'm talking to, you know, this pod is called That's No Longer My Ministry. And we're really centering conversations on things that we're trying to strip away, things that we're trying to unpack as we are moving through healing, as we're on, you know, the beginning of our journeys to healing and as we're actively healing. So what is something that you've realized recently that you no longer have to do? I have uh, let go of a lot of things that um, have, you know, I've just like spent my entire life thinking were obligations. Um, the one that comes to top of mind is that I don't, I no longer feel like I need to be responsible for other people's feelings. And that's like a big one for me because I think I've spent my entire life. I mean, I would say that it has probably been like a cornerstone of my existence is feeling like my self-worth was tied to how other people felt about me, right? Like how much I was or wasn't a burden to like people around me or um, how much happiness I was bringing people, how much easier I was making people's lives. And so much of this was so I was, it was just so intrinsically tied to my self-worth and of course how happy that made me um and obviously i mean it, you, if you feel like that you're you're not going to be that happy right yes so like, what a volatile um what a volatile way to live i think and so i just recently started therapy like six months ago and i think that that is one of the I, it's something that i've been trying to strip away from like i have like i, I recognized it a number of years ago that it was something that i was like constantly burdened with and I felt burdened with, but I didn't know how to unburden myself of that. Like, I, totally. you know, like what is like, how, how do you not be the person that you are? Right. Um, you know, and so through therapy, I've like really started learning to not feel responsible for other people's feelings. Um, you know, if, and that's like incredibly liberating. Oh my God. Like it's not easy every day. Sometimes yeah. I still find myself, you know, it's so much easier to just feel responsible because it's something that you know, but yeah, when you don't when you actively are like, that is not my problem. Yes. <laughs> like truly, that's not my problem. And you step away from it. It's so empowering. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I commend you because that's, that's hard. I mean, I think we are socialized to care about other people's feelings. Um, and of course you care, like I care that you have this feeling, but it's not my burden to hold on to how you're feeling. Yes. And especially as an empath, which I know you are too. Oh man, that's a lot of energy to carry around all the time that has nothing yeah. to do with you. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's so true. I feel like one of the conversations I was having with my therapist, I was telling her, you know, a certain 
person um, in a certain like instance where I was like, you know, I just feel so burdened by this relationship. And she was like, well, do you, do you feel like you are burdened by them or do you feel burdened by the obligation you feel, you know? And I was like, you know, and this is why (laughs) therapy is like, it has been absolutely everything for me because she always like restructures the thought Yes. Or the, the like concept in a way, like she'll just insert a word in here or insert a word there. And I'm like, that just completely changed everything. Yes. And now that makes way more sense. Like that is actually how I feel, not the thing that I thought I felt. And that is so incredible. Like, I mean, I just can't even people, I, you know, people warned me, not warned me, but people did give me a disclaimer before I started therapy that it was going to be uncomfortable but I would say I, I way more look forward to going to therapy than I don't. Like my therapist is one of my favorite people. When I see her, I'm like, I leave that conversation 99.9% of the time. Just like, God, that was so great. Like, <laughs> can I talk to you every single day? Yes. Uh, I love that. I love therapy. I love people who love therapy. I have been in therapy for a decade and it is truly changed who I am and truly changed how I can move around in this world. Like therapy is huge. And I love to hear from people who have just started on their therapy journey um, or who are hesitant, like that they're enjoying it. Um, And we can dig into that a little bit later because I think that will be valuable information for anybody who's listening. But love to hear that it's going well. And that is something that you look forward to because that's the kind of relationship I want everybody to have with their therapist. Yeah, me too. Me too. I feel like I've, I've become like the biggest advocate. I, t- I talk to everybody about it and you know, I tied, I'm like, I like, I talk about it as if it's like, like my favorite new restaurant. <laughs> I'm like, have you been, you know, like, <laughs> have you tried this thing on the menu? <laughs> it's just, I mean, I'm the type of person that when something changes my life, like, especially for the better, you can't shut me up about it. Like, I feel like everybody I talk to, I end up talking to them about therapy and I'm just like beaming. I have to be beaming because that's how I feel inside. Well, okay. So to close this little segment out, what is your favorite thing on the therapy menu? Because I'd like some of that as well. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I might get an extra side. (laughs) Yeah, I think my favorite menu item, if, if, if we could call it that, is it actually it's two parts you know i think one of the biggest um the benefits of going to therapy is like just being able to talk for an hour about yourself and it's socially acceptable that's not a thing in life you know and i think because that's not a thing people are inhibited um by talking about themselves and then keep everything in and i think that when you just go to therapy literally to just unload everything that's on your mind and you put it all out on the table and then you pick up a couple of things with a magnifying glass and you look at them a little closer like you just get to know yourself your thoughts and everything so much better um and so that's my favorite part like even when I'm not going through conflict it's like oh I'm just going to therapy so I can talk to her about what happened this whole week and what's been on my mind yes Sometimes I, my therapist will do exactly what, you know, I said she did in the beginning, like she'll just offer me a different perspective. And if you're open to hearing a different perspective, it can completely change everything for you. Cause she'll often just like, 
to say something that is so obvious and kind of staring me in the face, but she says it in the most non-judgmental, non-critical way. And I'm like, oh yeah, that is true. That's a great way. You know, that's a great way to look at it. And that just like automatically will relieve me of feeling like shit. Like sometimes you go in and you're like, you know, you feel mad at somebody, you feel mad at yourself, you feel shitty. And she'll come in and she'll just be like, well, have you know, this is another way to think about it. And I'm like, well, you're fucking right. Like now I don't feel bad about it. it that's all it was. Like that's all you had to say. And now I feel fine about it. Yes. Um, so those are the two favorite menu items about therapy. Oh, everybody get that as your entree, maybe a side. <laughs> I'm going to get some dessert of different perspective. Like. I probably have used this analogy for too long. We're going to take a break because we need to move it along. So the next segment is called So You've Been Told. And the point of this is to really kind of unpack things that we either hear a lot or maybe just seen once about healing and just see how we react to it based on our own experiences, based on our own identities. I think that's like the biggest part because these are not one size fits all. Um, And some things... I think are problematic and some things are not. So the first one is an age old favorite. It's a proverb. I don't know who said it first. I didn't see any citation, but time heals all wounds. How do you feel about time heals all wounds? I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's (laughs) time that heals all wounds. I think it's time and therapy. Or, you know, like, and I don't mean like having to go to a therapist. I mean, like some therapeutic practice. Um, I I think that this is not the full story of what really helps us heal, Um, which I think is really misleading when you think about it, because it's like, oh, you know, it's the type of conditioning that I think all of us have gotten in some um, dose, at least I, you know, oh, forget it. You know, it won't hurt tomorrow. Uh, You won't care about this in a couple of years. Don't worry about it. Like this is, you know, the type of thing that we get brushed under the rug because time (laughs) supposedly, and that's not true. Girl. Yes. I feel like this is always something that's shared when you break up with someone, which (sighs) And then like, and then it's like the calculations, well, if you're with that someone for two years, then it'll take twice as long. For you. And it's like, oh why are we, first of all, quantifying <laughs> this? Um, but also I just don't feel like I'm magically gonna feel like that pain is gonna be erased right. with time because yeah. there are still heartbreaks that I feel to this yeah. day. Time did not take care of that for me. So anyways, uh, love your response. Next one, healing yourself is connected with healing others. By Miss Yoko Ono. Oh, I 100% believe in that. Um, I think that I think everything is a cycle. Everything is connected, right? Like, and that's not this isn't knowledge that's coming from me. Like, it's you know the wisest of of wise men and women have um, <laughs> alluded to this sort of interconnectedness in our existence, like for all of time. And it makes I mean it just makes sense, right? So it's yes. like I'm a and I know this firsthand. Like I know if that I'm a better person in my relationship, for example, with my husband, like then I'm only going to give him good energy. I'm only going to be better, like more receptive to his energy. And Mm. that can then only yield a certain response. You know, like you, you have to start with like the positive. And if you, if, because there's, there's a really great saying from a Hindu scripture that alludes to um, how our thoughts 
are the creators of our destiny. Mm-hmm. And it, it says, because, you know, your thoughts lead to certain actions, your actions lead to certain uh, consequences. And so everything starts with a thought and they're the way that it's described as a certain seed can only grow into a certain type of tree as such a certain type of thought can only grow into a certain type of action. And I mean, it just makes sense. Like it's right. not something that's like hard to grasp, you know? And so I think that if I'm a better person, then I'm a better friend, I'm a better wife. And then that person can be the same to me. Absolutely. It's like refilling your own cup so you can pour out yeah. to others. Yeah. That's something that a, a long, a long time ago, so, uh, my, th- my therapist told me that. <laughs> and I was like, I just don't feel like I know what to do to refill my cup. Like, I don't know yeah. how to refill my cup, but other people want me to pour. And so that's definitely cool. that's something. Intense. I mean, yeah, that's something that I mean, as a black woman, you're always expected to pour, pour, pour. But trying to, you know, prioritize giving something to yourself, refilling and being the best person you can. Oh, pivotal to helping other people. This one, I feel like my mom just said this to me two days ago and I, you know, I encouraged, well, I'm not gonna tell you how I felt about it. She said this to me two days ago. You'll have time to rest when you're dead. Oh my God. I have so many issues with this one. (laughs) Why? First of all, why, why is that what we're taught? Like, what, what are we doing until then? What are we <laughs> <You> doing? <know? laughs> like, like <laughs> that's the crazy thing. It's like, okay, but what, then what is the entirety of my life? If no part of that is in like involves rest. Yes. That's, that's bullshit. And I think that the, that's a, that's a totally toxic, patriarchal, misogynistic, white supremacist ideal that, I have a lot of issue with. I as well. I didn't know this, but when I looked up that quote, it was it was cited as a Robert De Niro quote. So I love um, <laughs> the different identities you called out and how problematic because it fits. Uh, yeah. It fits. But yes, I think, and that's grind culture, right? Like you're just yeah. all we're supposed to be doing till we're dead is grind. Not for me. I like to yeah. take. I like to sleep. I was gonna say take naps. I don't take naps. I like to sleep. I like to sleep too. I don't really like to take naps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's silly. You know, like it, it, for the lack of a, a more, I don't know, like descriptive word, it's silly for us <laughs> to even operate on this um, on this belief that if we we can rest when we're dead. I mean, it's just so insane. You're not, that's no, I don't even, I don't even have any more words for it. I think it's so stupid. <laughs> Let's not give any more words to it. It's not powerful enough. Uh, the last one is, it's, a, it's actually a poem by Rupi Kaur and it's just brief. And here you are living despite it all. I love her. Um, <laughs> I love this. I, you know, I think that her, it's interesting, but Rupi Kaur gets um, some flack by her critics because her poetry is uncomplicated. And I think that that's, it, it's not false. Her poetry is uncomplicated, but it's also, it's really relatable. Uh, I think it's a really beautiful way for you to define um, active living. I've come to recently find problem with um, resilience as a, as a, um, aspirational quality because I, I you know I don't think that 
we should the the type of resilience that's expected of people is um is a way to oppress them too yeah. but i think humans for people to be able to live through trials and tribulations and make it out to the other side um you know and that meaning like their their minds making out out to the other side um that's a beautiful concept i mean i think that, that that's like that's what humans are not i don't want to say they're built to do but that's what we are able to do despite it all mhm yeah i couldn't say it any better and i'm not going to i i love her i've seen her live a couple of times um when she was like just up and coming i uh i was i, I i've been involved on and off with brown girl magazine for since its inception since like 2010 and they um held an event for rupi and um another couple of poets at this like it was like really small event when she was just coming out i think like she had she had just gotten a book deal for um the, her first book like honey time, yeah i think it was at the time only self published and so i you know my friend who was like the editor in chief of the magazine was like hey can you come take pictures for for us and so i took pictures of like rupi performing and i that was my first introduction to spoken word poetry and i was blown away like she performed broken english and i was like i was just like putty that that poem is everything um it's just so beautiful it's such a what an homage to like the Im- immigrant experience yeah um, or you know and like our parents immigrant experience not yes mine. we'll drop a link let's get into the nitty gritty the goods we're going to get into the goods now this is the part where we talk about what's no longer your ministry so forum tell me what's no longer your ministry being responsible for other people's feelings i mean i'm just, like this is top of mind for me it's it's like when i'm actively it's what i'm actively working on you know like untangling myself from um and untangling my self-worth from the feelings of other people mm-hmm. especially when it has nothing to do with me you know one of the things that my therapist has recently taught me or always reminds me of is people's reactions to things often don't have anything to do with you. Yes. And when you think about that and how if you know like that coupled with the fact that we let other people's feelings in like a situation an argument or like you know um anything like just how they feel what what they might say in that moment what you think they feel about you because you've done a certain thing let and when you let that define like how you feel about yourself Mm-hmm. it's just all of it it's just it's like oh my gosh that you know undoing this one thing can help undo so many toxic behaviors and 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 like thoughts that that totally have i would say not controlled me my whole life but definitely been there in the background like you know been yeah. like the current of a lot of what i do what i say how i feel Yeah, is there any particular uh group of people that you're thinking of when you talk about this cuz sometimes it's like okay, not caring like for me I've had, I've had a lot of I've struggled with really not caring how my friends feelings are showing up especially like when you know passive aggressiveness is communicated. Mm-hmm. It's like 
I know what you're trying to say, but you're not saying it. And so should I be doing this job of mind reader for you and get yeah. you, you know, because that really is taking on the burden of someone else's feelings, right? Yeah. Is there any, um, is there any particular, you know, example that you would bring into this conversation? I mean, I think that um, my family's top of mind, just, you know, they're who I'm, who I've grown up with so often that I think like for most people, like you learn a lot of behaviors from your family. And I think this is something that I've unintended that they've unintentionally passed down to me. You know, I don't think that I think because of who I am as a person, I'm like very empathetic. I'm very um, accustomed to kind of holding people's like unhappiness or negative energy um, in an effort to, I don't know, like, to rid them of it, to rid me of it. Like, I'm actually not really sure where it comes from, but I think that I've associated that sort of behavior the most with my family. I will say one of the things um, that comes to my, I mean, and that translates to my relationship with my husband, right? Like, because Mm -hmm. that's your family. And one of the small things that I've changed that's really been helpful for me is, you know, when something happens. Like, let me give you an example of um, when the insurrection happened. on January. <laughs> oh, a light example. I see. <laughs> a nice light example for all of our listeners to relate to. We were in um, San Francisco at the time where we, we, we used to live and we, my husband and I both react to things very differently. Mm. He's a, he's more of like a short, shorter fuse, more explosive, quicker to burn out type of person. Like that's how he processes things. I, on the other hand, will like absorb everything. I don't really react. I sit with it. It tends to fester. Like, (laughs) you know, like we, that's just how we are. And so the day of the insurrection, he was losing his mind. I mean, as one might, you know, but for me, that was so stressful. I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't. Previous to having gone to therapy, I think what I, I would have done a couple of things. I would have one assumed that I needed to either feel the way he felt, or I needed to care that he felt that way and help him make, help make it better. Mm. Even though it had nothing to do with me, even though I was equally affected by that same situation, for some reason, I would have put my feelings aside and I would have been like, oh, you know, it's okay. Like, it's not a big deal, you know, like calm down that, is, you know, there's two problems with that one. It, it like really doesn't let him feel how he's feeling and he, how he processes things. And that in itself is a problem. Mm. But secondly, like I has not, I don't need to, to take on his stress. Cause I'm also stressed. And so in that moment I was like, you know what? The former me would have handled this not well. I would have taken on his stress. I would have tried to fix this for no reason. And I would have put my feelings behind, even though this is not how I want to handle this situation because it's really stressful for me. The new me in that moment, you know, thought about how I had been going, had been talking to my therapist about, and I was like, you know what? I can't deal with this right now. And I let him sit in the living room and literally like scream and, you know, yell obscenities and, and, and talk to his friends. And I went into the kitchen, I closed the door and I just sat there and I think, you know, and it was like the healthiest thing that we could have done. And I think that in my like former life would have felt so like, I don't know, it would have felt so, um, what's the word? Like it would have felt like I was being rude. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I was going to ask yeah, you, because yeah. um, it's interesting. Like, I, one thing that I try to do for myself is really unpack the myth or the belief that's yeah. making you feel a certain way. So I'm curious, too, about, like, your identities as a woman, as yeah. an Indian woman, and as a wife in this scenario. Yeah. Like, what is the belief that you're holding that's making you feel guilty about being like, you know what? I don't need to process this with you. Yeah. I don't need to take care of you. Like, what is the belief that you're holding on to? I mean, just that, you know, I think like inherently I have, I don't know. I think I've just grown up assuming like, uh, it is my, everyone's problem is my problem. Yes. First of all, you know, my family's problems are always my problem and I come last. Mm. these are things that are intrinsic to like an Indian woman's existence, you know? And it just, I mean, that's just how it is. And I don't think that's how, what I was operating on, but that's what, that's not what I was consciously, you know, but I think that that's definitely what was there. And so for me to say, you know what, I'm also really stressed that like this insurrection is a stressful thing your reaction is stressing me out more. So Mm. I'm going to go in another room. I'm going to let you do what you need to do. I'm going to go do what I need to do. And you know what? Like he came in five minutes later and he was like, okay, I'm better. And it was so funny because I was like, oh my God, I've been, we've been together for like seven years. And if I had done this, you know, like, it's not like he was upset. It's not like he was like, what? Okay. That was so rude. Like, no. And if anything, he got to like, you know, burn his fuse out. Yes. And then he was fine. And he also recognized that I couldn't be in that room with him, which I was like, oh, and he didn't mind. Cause why would he, you know what I mean? It was just such a crazy, like eye-opening experience for me. Cause it was like everything I was trying to work on in practice. And mm-hmm. I went back and I told my therapist and she of course told me she was proud of me, which I love her for. Cause you know, that's not something that I grew up hearing. <laughs> Yes, let's talk about immigrant (laughs) families a little bit more. (laughs) We don't, we don't get those acknowledgements like that, that they're from. No way. Oh my God. I love my therapist. She's, she's an Indian and she's an older Indian woman. And I like, she's just like, she's just so sweet and like warm. And like, she, when she tells me she's proud of me, I'm like, oh, shucks. Like, (laughs) you know, like, it's just so sweet and so heartfelt and she means it. And I'm like, you know what? it's interesting that I am getting this from an Indian older Indian person. It makes a big difference for me, I think to get it from an in older Indian person, because yes. she gets it. Like there are so many unspoken truths mm-hmm. between us that make the world of difference, like absolutely the world of difference that, that I couldn't have experienced if I was meeting with like a white therapist. Yes. And I actually am really happy you called this out because for people who haven't seen a therapist before or currently searching for a therapist. This is something I've coached a lot of young women or not even young women, people, young people on how to source your therapist, because a lot of the times people feel like I just need to, I just need to sign up or find a local therapist, whatever, and then just go with them. Uh, for one thing, if you're not comfortable talking to men, you don't have to have a male therapist. If you're not comfortable and or do not want to talk about trauma with white people, if you're a person of color, you don't have to do that. And the third thing is, if you do meet with a person who you feel like might be ideal, 
but you don't vibe. Like it's just not working. They're not giving you, they're giving you problematic advice. They're not giving you advice aligned with who you are, your core values, your goals. You can break up with them. People do it every day. And so I just wanted to get some of your thoughts on like, what are, you know, when you were like, okay, I got to get a therapist. What were some of your like top three, like, these are my musts, these are my boundaries. And um, yeah, how did you go about getting that? I mean, I think I was really lucky because I I have so many people in my life. I mean, you being one of them that had had that always had such a positive relationship with like going to therapy, who had such a history of going to therapy. And I had been talking to uh, both Indian and non-Indian people um, who I could relate to in different ways about therapy. And most recently, one of my really good work friends, our former work friends, she had started virtual therapy and. I had been thinking about going to therapy for a long time and it was just something that I was not ready for. I was like, you know, I'd always, one of the first things I told my therapist was, you know, I feel like I've been, I've had so many things stuffed in my closet. Like I've stuffed everything in my closet and I'm just like, hold, I'm like, my back is to the door, just keeping it all in there. Oh my gosh. And I know shit's about to come out but it's all in there. And that's just kind of how I want to operate. Like, I was just like, you know, that I, I had literally convinced myself that, you know, it's in there. It's all packed away. Like I can do this for the rest of my life. But then it was a kind, it was kind of like, why, you know, I mean, I work <laughs> at a company where I have 25 free sessions a year and I was sitting at home during quarantine. And there was just a moment in time when I finally felt ready. And that was the pivotal moment for me, you know, like, I can't explain why, but I was like, you know, I'm kind of ready to start talking. And I, the last thing I was hung up on was, is it going to be weird Yeah, over camera? Because am I just going to feel like I'm staring, you know, am I just talking to a screen? And my friend, you know, had just started and she was like, it's not weird at all. She's like, I, I can't imagine doing this in person. It's so, it's mm. so easy, you know, like, I don't even have to change. <laughs> they only need to see you from, right. <laughs> from your shoulders that. up. And that's exactly true. Right. And I think at that point I was like, you know what? I've really run out of excuses. Like, and that's what it is. And I think for me, when I run out of excuses to do something that I know I should do, and I'm just being a brat about it, I I just, I will do it. I'll finally just do it like that. You know? So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to contact our health provider. And I was fortunate enough that they sent me a list um, I met with one woman who ended up saying, uh, I, I even had one session with her. She was Indian. She said that she felt she was more, she was a social worker. And so she was like, okay. you know, I, I do work in cognitive behavioral therapy, but I think that you would benefit more from like unpacking things. Um, and so we had one session and that was like a nice trial run and just talking about things. Um, and that was a little uncomfortable, but it was a nice trial and then I went back to the provider and I said, send me a list of, you know, and they sent me a list and my therapist was on there and I contacted her and she had availability to take new clients. And it was like love at first sight for us. So for me, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think I'm honestly an anomaly. I've heard yes. so many stories that have gone oppositely, again, totally the opposite way, which is that it didn't work out with the first person. My husband actually went to a therapist that he he went a few times and he was like, she just wouldn't ask me any questions. Which is weird. Which is so weird, right? When I think about that, I'm like, my therapist, I just feel like she always asks me the best questions, but she always, she remembers everything. 
everything, right? And I'm like, this is like, there's no trying with her. Everything is really effortless. And so I just knew it was the right match. I was like, she makes me feel good. She makes me feel safe. She makes me feel like I want to come and talk to her and talk about uncomfortable things. You know, like those are the feelings that for me were obvious cues that I was matched with the right person. One thing that I feel like I'm always impressed by in healing other people in healing and hearing other people's healing journeys, which is something that it was the reason I wanted to start this podcast was the work. It's the yeah. work for me. Like that's that's what I really feel like makes a huge difference is like, how are we actively moving into spaces that we can unpack our discomfort or we can unpack even what you've just shared, like behaviors that have been passed down from your lineage. I didn't even realize that was a thing. I actually met with a coach when they said, oh, but what behaviors do you feel like has been passed down in your lineage? And it just hit me like, what? That's a that's yeah. a real thing that we can identify and then work to undo. And so, I mean, you've said to me already, you've already mentioned that therapy is the work for you. And I, I commend you. That's like a huge huge piece. But I also am just curious, like, what are the tools in therapy that you're using to do that work? What are some things that have translated that either show up in, you know, a ritual that you have for yourself or self-talk or reminders? Yeah. Yeah. One of the first um, things that my therapist shared with me was like this list of um, mind traps. Oh, yeah. Or thought traps one or the other, Either. you know, and it's like common, common, like things that people common like uh, thinking behaviors that people have that are irrational and that um, can really negatively impact you. And one of the things, I mean, like half of them really, I, I could relate to, and those have told like completely translated for me across everything. Like one of the biggest things that I constantly find myself uh, catching myself, do, you know, like doing and thinking is this idea that everything is black and white. And it's funny because I I feel like my whole life, I've always kind of commended myself that I'm Mm. a very black and white thinker. Like for me, you know, it's either this or it's that, like you always know. And I don't really, I don't really, um, you know, like play in the middle. Like you just, that's, that comes from like my family for sure. Like, that's like a, that's like a, like my mom's side of the family is especially way more, is more like tough love, you know, not really yeah. doesn't, don't know coddling, you know? And so we, I always say like, oh, this is like a, um, Sadakbor, uh, type of thinking, which is my mom is from this village called Sadakbor and her whole, all her siblings are like this too. And it's funny because it's a really negative, irrational and like toxic way to think. I think it's only bred unhappiness for me. Um, and so one of the things that my therapist often, you know, will remind me of is, you know, it doesn't have to be so black and white, like yeah, be somewhere in the middle, like, and, um, it alongside that, like two things can be true at once. And like those things have completely like changed the way I think about stuff. And more so I think I, I'm constantly recognizing all the different ways that I'm a very black and white thinker. I mean, it, it's it's everything from how I see, how I evaluate like other people, other situations to how I evaluate myself. You know, like there's always this like expectation that you're always the best or you're always a hundred percent on. 
or mm. you know, and it's like when you really think about it, black and white thinking doesn't serve you at all, ever, like ever. And letting go of that polarity in life yeah. is really uncomfortable because for, if you're like me and you appreciate knowns, like uh, like truths, right? Like I'm yes. like, I'm, it is either black or it is either white. Those are Listen, I've never been either black or either white, so... <laughs> The both have to exist at the same time for me. I mean, you are your living existence. <laughs> this is true. Well, and it's funny because I similar. I'm obviously we are very similar in the way we think. And black and white thinking has always been a problem of mine. And I don't know. I think I unconsciously started doing this, but it's interesting what you said. It reminds me I often say aloud for myself and for the other people around me, those feelings can exist at the same time. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you ask people like, oh, you just moved. You just moved to D.C. How are you feeling? Oh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm anxious about it, but I'm so excited those things can exist at the same time. You know, I feel yeah. I feel really nervous about leaving this really great job, but like I know I'm ready to go. Those things can exist at the same time. And I don't know how long it took me to figure that out, but it's it's huge because then you can honor all of your feelings. You can honor all of the things, all of the data you're taking in because we're tech nerds. All of the data yeah. you're taking in. But it's like I mean, even working out, I remember I used to be like, you're either going to work out for at least an hour and you're going to go yes. hard or you're not going to do it at all. And who does that serve? <laughs> no. And that's exactly that's that's like one of the things that I've um, I've I've challenged like recently. I mean, you know, having gone through the move and everything like I haven't my workout re regimen has been totally thrown off and I moved here and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to finally get, you know, get working out again. But having not had a routine for months, it's really hard for, and I also don't really, I'm not the type of person who enjoys like an hour long yeah. can workout like that, it, beating my body up like that. It doesn't feel good to me. I, I'm like, I easily overheat. I easily get um, migraines. So like, that's the yes. type of thing that I, I don't like it. But I love how I feel after like a solid cardio or like strength training workout or yoga, right? Like whatever, yes. like I do like exercise, but it's harder for me to get moving. Yes. And I've recently had to challenge the thinking that like, oh, I can't commit like the amount of time that I want to. So I'm just not going to work out today at all. And, you know, and I've started slow, like I've started get, getting up in the morning um, and doing like a 20 minute ride on my bike. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is hard, but that's because I haven't done this in a while. And that's okay. I can just get back on this like slowly. And that's the type of thing that I was never really taught to do, right? Like mm -hmm. you, this is exactly the, the thing that I mean, where you, there's no getting good at something. You just are good at it. And that's just how life is, right? Like if you're not good at it, then you're bad at it. And right. that's, so these are like parallels that I'm constantly making in my mind. And like, for me, it's, it's just like, I don't know, like I, I use cannabis and when I get high, I'm like, you know, I have these like really great thoughts. It's like that without the cannabis, right? <laughs> like when I have like, these like moments of breakthrough and I'm like, oh, that's a black and white thought that, you know, it's like, it appears in every single place of my life. And so 
Mm. That, that's like a strategy that for me, my, my therapist always tells me, she's like, but you're catching yourself. Exactly. You know, and that's the other thing that I'm like, oh, because see, I beat myself up for having those thoughts. Mm. And my therapist tells me, no, but you're having those thoughts because you're catching yourself. And I'm like, see, there it is, black and white. <laughs> like, yes. If I know better, I should do better. I've always thought that, which is a crazy way to it's a crazy, like high expectation to have of yourself, right? Like if you know better, if you know that like sugar is going to make you fat, you should not eat sugar. Okay. Like that's uh, addiction is real. <laughs> like let us not, but yeah, no, right. that's, I mean, that, that is true. I mean, growing up in a Nigerian household, you are excellent. That is what you are. If you're going to be, you know, pursuing your studies, you will be excellent. You're not going to do something you're not good at you know, yeah. and if you're not good at it, you're bad. <laughs> and so you're going to do something and you're going to do it in the most excellent way. So, I, you know, I understand that just being passed down um, and just like internalized that that's something we yeah. all internalize, you know, looking at, especially in your environment. And so I can see that with maybe an Indian household that you're expected to rise to the occasion all yeah. of the time, all of the time. Yeah. And it's not just about, you know, cause I, I, I remember thinking about this once and I was like, you know, my parents weren't the type of parents that are stereotyped on TV that are like obsessive about grades and are like, you know, my parents didn't even check our report cards. And it's funny, my parent, my sister and I were coming home with straight A's and sometimes we would like stuff our credit, our credit cards, our report <laughs> cards in front of their faces and be like, look, we are acing everything. And they would be like, okay, good. You know, and I remember them saying, like, it's just, we don't understand the grading system here. Like, we don't, you know, like in India, I think, like, you get, like, numerical points to, yeah. And so here in A, B, and they were more, my parents are on, like, small business owners, and they were, like, more, they they focus more about the hustle. Like, Mm. you just got things done because you had to. And that's kind of how they saw school. They were like, you know, like, we trust you guys, like, we're putting a lot of trust in you, you're going to get good grades, you're going to get through college, and you're going to get married, right? And then you're going to unburden us. (laughs) And that was basically like, what I was working up to. And it took me a long time to realize that it's well, because my parents come from it, like, they were not academics, or they didn't have like, a they didn't have a nine to five, they were hustling every single day, they hustle every day, they have business to take care of. So for them, what they value is not giving up. And Mm. just being, you know, you like, when I was going through years and years of unemployment, my my, my parents didn't freak out. And I went, you know, I, I decided to pursue journalism, and I would get questions from my fellow friends and Indian friends, and they'd be like, well, how did your parents take that? And I was like, my parents were excited. They were like, oh, yeah. cool. Like, my daughter's going to be a journalist. She's going to be on CNN, you know? And so they were just like, when I wouldn't get a, when I couldn't find a job, they'd be like, you know, it'll work out. And so I appreciated that. I didn't get it, that that was like where they, that was their lineage. Like that was mm. their, like having inherited this um, hustle from, yeah. you know, like their family and stuff. And like, these are things, but that comes with baggage too. Right. So like, totally. if, you, if you, my parents are also very much like, listen, there's no time for vacations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Yeah. You know, like they don't, they don't get to take vacations because they're bound by these shackles of their business. But that also that, you know, like we are different people now. And so when we, we always like, it's so hard, we're constantly 
mm. butting heads with my parents on like the way we want to live our lives in terms of like traveling and and not working and like you know these like freedoms that we get to have because yeah. you just work until you have you cannot work anymore and that's you know that's i um, i mean my family <laughs> my dad is a is an overachiever kind of hustler type of person not because he has to anymore but he did grow up in a family like he had to when he started he was the first person in his family to go to college. He was the first person to leave um, Nigeria wow. and come to the, well, come to Canada where he met my mom, but then come to the US. He was, so he was doing so much. And when my parents were married, they had nothing. I mean, they talk about that. My mom still talks about it and cries about it. Like they had nothing, but they had my brother and like trying to go to the store with him in the sled and my mom walking because she could either afford bread or she could afford the bus. So she chose bread. Wow. And so they would pull him in the sled in Canada, in the freezing cold and the snow and like the tears on her face would like freeze to her face. Um, and I'm just like that, but, but that changed for them. I mean, they really, they're not living like that anymore at all. I didn't even grow up in that environment. We always grew up middle-class for me, yeah. but for me and my brother. So it's interesting though, because that hustle culture continued and continues. Yeah. My dad yeah. is retired and he still consults. I'm like, dad. <laughs> And when he was working his full-time job, he was a biochemist, full-time job, he was teaching also. Like he Gosh. just, and he loves to work. He loves to learn. He loves to read. He loves to just be a worker. And he like, the only thing he talks to me about is my work life. Like that's, and so it's very interesting how that I, my friends have told me I do the most and I do too much. Definitely true. But that's something I'm working on unlearning is like, I don't yeah. have to work all of the time. All the time, Yeah. That's that's not an easy. We're we're just one generation away, right? Like sometimes I I I think about how incredible it is that I know people who um you know who are like who are brown and who are black who are second, third, fourth generation. Yeah. Their you know their families have been here for so long and they they don't really identify as like what their what from what their parents came from. And I think about how, what a monumental time in history it is for like my descendants, because mm. I am like the first, I'm the, I'm a first generation um, Indian American. I was born in India and my parents, like I came here when I was four. And so to think like, it's, we're so closely connected still to our parents and like what they grew up with in India. And that culture was uh, so different so different right so like what you'll often find with people of my generation is this constant tug and pull between honoring like where you came from and what you grew up in because you feel very much like oh yes i'm indian but also like you grew up here and you know the like american values are almost the polar opposite and what you will often find is in your family they're treated very black and white you yes. know, it, it, there is this idea often that if you're American, you're not being Indian. And that is a lot to carry on your shoulders. You know, like if you're, if you um, do this, then you're not doing that. And it's like, well, I mean, there's no winning for any of us, right? Like this is like another, 
discovery for me where I'm like, oh, this is another black and white situation that like I inherited this type of thinking that I inherited, you know, and it's not that I'm blaming my family, but this is the type of like toxic behavior that has perpetuated generation to generation because they didn't have therapy. They didn't have mental health, like acknowledgement. And so there's a lot of burden to also to carry when you are, you have to be compassionate. Absolutely. Or what our fam- parents didn't have. Totally. Because you understand. But then also knowing it's okay to feel really like upset about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I don't know about you, but I feel like with that, with me, with more with like people of my generation who are Indian, there's often this rhetoric that like you're being ungrateful if you're complaining. That's a really shitty feeling to have to live with too, because. I don't feel like I'm being ungrateful. I just feel like there's, that's not the whole story. Yes. Yeah. And I think, and I love that you said that because that is the work, right? Is acknowledging that what your parents did, what their parents did, what your ancestors did were probably for survival because they were in survival mode and they may still be in survival mode and you yourself may be in survival mode. Yeah. Um, And I think acknowledging that you are in a different place than they are, than they were. Um, you have access to things that they didn't yeah. and that you can break that cycle. You can change things for yourself and for your own family and for your own yeah. children if you choose to have them. Like that's that's huge and that is a lot of work. That's a lot of work to keep reminding yourself that because I, yeah. oh man, there are things that I carry where I'm like, I don't wanna do that anymore. I don't wanna do that yeah. anymore. And it is toxic, but I'm not, I'm not mad at my parents for it, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's also a liberating place to be is when you realize like both things can be true at once. Like you can feel, you can feel like you wish things had been different, Mm. but also be grateful for how, for what you have had. You don't feel resentment then, you know? And that's, that's like a really mind blowing, like realization is like, oh, that's the cure. To resentment mm. is actually just letting both things exist at once. You know, like if it's the, it's the actually it's the fighting for space and feeling like, Oh, it's you either are grateful or you're resentful. You can't be both. That makes you actually just resentful because that sucks because you're like, well, then I'm just going to choose to be resentful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel a lot, lot. I don't feel resentful when I, when I say to myself, I wish that things had been different in a lot of ways but I'm so grateful to my parents and for everything that, you know, they did Mm. that paved the way for me to, to live the life that I'm living. And that doesn't, that makes me feel okay about everything. Like, like I can manage it. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. All right. Hashtag I'm not sorry. Cause we're not sorry about what we need to do to get through any of the behaviors that we have, the trauma that we're experiencing, but I think part of my healing journey has been acknowledging those things and knowing when I'm actively engaging my healing work and knowing when I need to escape. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, like, what are some of your escape tendencies or do you know them? Yeah, I would say that I'm the type of person who tends to shut down. Um, and, you know, I think that there, if I shutting down before I went to therapy was a hundred percent and not a good um, tendency. Like that was, that was negative. That was not helping me because there was nowhere for those feelings to go. And I was just not even acknowledging this. 
I also wasn't letting like my thoughts and feelings weren't going going anywhere, right? Like I was putting yeah. I'm stuffing them in that closet and they were there and they were nice. They weren't tidy, but they were packed away um, such that I could compartmentalize them enough and I could live my life. But it was obviously affecting like, you know, the health of the rest of my life. And my, uh, it was just taking up too much space in my mind. So I wasn't really functioning mm. like as I should. And so shutting down without therapy was all negative. Now I recognize that I'm still a pretty introverted kind of like, you know, I take, I like soak everything in. I think about it. I process it. So last in December, actually, there was just a lot going on with me. There was just a lot going on, like in my personal life. There was a lot going on at work. There was just co- obviously COVID. And so I took some, I took a considerable amount of time off for on Christmas and New Year's. And I told my husband, I was like, look, I don't want to go anywhere. Like he, mm. you know, he loves to be outside. He's like, let's go for a hike. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I'm like, you know what? I can go on one hike. Let's, we'll go on a hike but I need to sit here and I need to watch TV and I need to just like, literally, I just need to rest. Mm. That's it. You know? And I like, let that be okay. I was like, this is what I need. First of all, asking for what you need is like revolutionary. Yes, it is. (laughs) Like, I don't even know, you know, like this is new for me just being like, this is what I need. And it's not, it's not being, it is being selfish, but it's being selfish at the right time. You know, like, when you're not selfish at the right time, you'll be selfish at the wrong times, literally. And that was me before I would just say, this is what I need. I would basically take up space in the relationship when I shouldn't have been taking up space. Right. And that, that would show up in ways like, you know, if he was feeling a certain way, I would feel a certain way about how he was feeling. Yeah. You know, and that's not fair. And that was because I was like, wait, 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 well, what about me? Yes. But now, you know, I'm like, okay, when I need something, I am a vocal about it. I say, I need this. And then the way I, you know, over Christmas, I was just like, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch TV and I'm going to eat some like carby food and I'm going <laughs> to like just restore myself a little bit. And it was exactly what I needed. Like I came out of that and I was like, you know what? I actually feel rested. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't feel like I was like escaping. Yes. I just felt like I was dealing with it. Yes. It's, just, it's like such a small difference, but it's a huge difference in the outcome. And that like was my first kind of um, real uh, th- like practice of what I had been like learning in therapy. And yeah, I mean, I, I would say like, I'm not there. I'm not hundred percent there. I still tend to like, you know, revert back to my negative ways. It's only been six months and it's, it, they wouldn't call it work if it wasn't work. And it's a lifelong journey. Like that's not, I mean, I yeah. think something that I always, I feel like I still have to get reminders about is that reverting back to your old ways doesn't mean you've gone back to square one. Yes. And I used to feel that. I used to feel that in my core, especially as someone who deals with chronic depression. Like there's always this hope, like I'm just going to rid myself of depression. It's just going to go away one day. It's not yeah. me. I'm going to learn how to make it go away. But it's yeah. like you're dealing with biology. You're dealing with environment. Yeah. You're dealing with trauma that's been passed on for generations. You're dealing like it's there and we have to come to terms with it, but we can ask ourselves, what do we need? And, yeah. and honor that. And I love that you said that because that really takes 
it takes it's it, that's hard work yeah and you know it's funny well it's funny when you said that that you know i was like oh blocking my thinking like i feel like now i have like a, a i have a radar for it because i'm always looking for it but right i mean that's that's that it's like you if you are asking for what you need then you are acknowledging that you like you're not okay and mm. there, there's no space for that in black and white thinking mm-hmm. you're right and that and so it's it's really it's really just phenomenal to me that like that sort of that one mind trap for me has been so pervasive across like everything i do and i i recognize it all the time and once you start recognizing it it's easier to like um to catch yourself but yeah i mean it's uh, it's funny to me that I always, I often will go to therapy and I'll be like, I'll tell my therapist, like, you know, some like win that I've had. And I'll be like, you know, this is you doing it. And she'll always be like, this is you doing the work. And I'm like, see that they're good. That's like such a, that's such a response though, that I would have is giving someone else credit for something that I actually am the one doing. Like my therapist is a huge part of it but she can't make me do anything. Right. And I love that she always reminds me like, you're the one doing the work, not me, you know, because I'll always come and be like, look, look at what you've done for me. (laughs) And it's not that it's not true, but I'm the one who's constantly sitting and like unlearning shit every single day. And so it's hard for me to be like, Oh, I did it. You know, that like Brown people are taught to self-congratulate. Totally. Totally. I'm going to, I want to close with a question, especially because you just said it's not something that brown people are used to doing. What advice would you give or resources um, for brown people who are, you know, kind of battling with some of these behaviors that are learned? There's an Instagram account um, by a woman who I've had the pleasure of working with because she was a, she was an editor at HuffPost um, and she's she's an Indian American woman. She started, she, she like went to school, she left her job at HuffPost and went to school to become a therapist. And she started this incredible community on, on Instagram. Um, the hash, it's hashtag, oh, sorry, hashtag, it's at Brown Girl Therapy. And she centers her work on therapy for children of immigrants. Like mm. that, that is her, the entire, focus of work and everything she posts like if you are if you're brown and if you're BIPOC like you will find something to relate to it I've shared it with brown people with black people with Asians like and my friend and people are always like oh my god like you this is exactly how I feel because because there's nobody out there who's actively studying therapy as it should be um as therapy for people who have like this added layer of com- complexity to it, to that, yes. right? Being children of immigrants means you come from totally different, um, a totally different background and you can't like apply like Western uh, therapy practices to, you know, like to people who like, that, like that's not the context they can Yes. They don't, they don't. And so she, she acknowledges a lot of that. She acknowledges like a lot of the behaviors that, children of immigrants grew up with and like a lot of the tendencies that that we tend to have and then addresses how to undo them just imagine how much you can 
address in a session with a real person, you know? And um, I would say like, I got lucky on the first try, but just like with any relationship, like if you don't like your therapist, go to the, go to another one, like, right. And just don't give up. Like it's, I mean, it has transformed my life. Like, it's like, there's two things for me, spirituality and therapy, and they go hand in hand. And I walked into my therapy session, the first one, and I said, I'm a spiritual person. And I want, I want to make sure that everything that you help me learn is not going to go against like my spiritual beliefs. And she's never done that. Like she, you know, that's like at the center of like everything that we work on and it makes the biggest difference. I could go on, we could spend another hour and I could talk about (laughs) why therapy is good for people. I just think that you just have to try. Special thanks to Forum for joining us for today's episode of That's No Longer My Ministry, the podcast. This podcast is a labor of love. So if you feel like anything we talked about resonated with you, and if you're taking something with you today, please consider donating to our Patreon. You can find all of that information on that'snolongermyministry.com. Also, subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode, and don't forget to tune in next week for our next community release. Bye, fam.